All right, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and notice in verse 1 it says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. We do not want to make God look bad. And so, you know, folks, those of you that work a job somewhere, be a good worker, please. So people know you're a Christian. We don't want them blaspheming God because you're His representative while you're there. And that's a whole message we could preach right there. We're not going to preach that. But notice that how he started out talking about that. And he said, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. All right, If your master is saved, if your boss is saved, don't take advantage of him. Don't, don't do that just because he's your brother. Because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. And one of the things we do in church, you know, we do a lot of preaching to save people about your behavior. We want to make sure you behave good. And then he goes on and says, and if any man teach otherwise. So if somebody's teaching contrary to this attitude of just behaving, serving your own master as well, he says, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. And I want you to notice a term he used in there, evil surmisings. That's what I want to talk about. I never preached a whole message just on evil surmisings, but I want to do that today because if we're not careful, we can allow an attitude to come in where we're just kind of like that as a church. Now, if I may give my opinion based on just experience in the ministry, I do believe when this happens in a church, most of the time you could blame the pastor for that type of attitude. I don't think we've got this going on here, but I definitely don't want to get it here. And if we do, I probably have some of the blame for it because too, in this passage, notice he's referring specifically to false prophets and people who just come in and are teaching bad things, people that are supposed to stay away from. So this is kind of an attitude that people don't just naturally normally come to. It's like somebody's got to get you doing this, having this attitude of just evil surmisings. And uh, and the, that word surmising, it just means suspicion. Uh, the Webster's 1828 definition, it means suspecting, imagining upon slight evidence. And then it says the act of suspecting, surmise, is evil surmisings, and then it uses 1 Timothy 6.4. As an example, and so while it's common sense that all of us should be vigilant and that we shouldn't just go trusting everyone, we know there's bad people out there. You know, we don't want to set ourselves up in a way to be really hurt or taken advantage of. We need to understand that if we're not careful, we can cross a line where we start becoming just way too suspicious of everyone and we can become guilty of evil surmisings. And so before we talk about how we can do this as a church, uh, let's look at how I believe these people did it that Paul was talking about. Let's look at the, uh, uh, you know, a Bible example. Cause Paul here too, here's what you gotta understand about this passage. He doesn't give us like an ex- a specific example of how they were doing this, uh, when it comes to evil surmisings. But I think we can get a pretty good idea of what was happening based on the other sins that he mentioned with this. And based on other passages where Paul dealt with things. So notice how um, in verse 3 it says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, 
even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So he's talking to save people here and he's talking about teaching that's about godliness. Okay? And listen, we get that salvation is by grace. And you know, we've, there's people out there, we got the trendies that anytime we start telling people how they should behave, they start calling us legalists. But we are supposed to preach about godliness. And there's nothing godly about getting saved and then just being wicked because grace covers it all. There's nothing godly about that. You know, obviously we all mess up and none of us measure up to God, but we should be making an effort. And as a church, we should be encouraging others to make an effort. And you better believe we're going to preach about godliness here. And we'll get branded legalists by people out there and they're not going to like us, but oh well. We're going to do it. And if they don't do it, we're going to stay away from those people. And so he said, and notice how he says too, after talking about this doctrine according to godliness, says he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and death through the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. And you know, when it talks about perverse disputings, I mean, have you ever just gotten in an argument with somebody like, this is a really stupid conversation. I mean, and I can't even believe we're having this argument. Listen, when we have to start having an argument about preaching against sin in church, we're arguing with somebody who is proud knowing nothing. And, and they do. And they love running to stuff passages about sanctification and they start talking about the blood of Jesus and that sounds so good and wonderful and it is a wonderful thing but you know we're still supposed to talk about living godly and I'm thinking about doing a series of messages where I basically we've got to learn how to live and how to operate with a Bible where there's many different doctrines that all go together and a lot of times people get real focused on one doctrine and they completely ignore another doctrine and then the way they teach the one doctrine they like to focus on, they take it so far, it ends up conflicting with this other doctrine. And there's a way for them all to fit. There's a way to make everything fit in the Bible. And so I want to kind of do it where we take two different doctrines that people kind of use against each other, but show how they go together and harmonize. Because the Bible always harmonizes. It's always, uh, it, it, all, it never contradicts itself. But it would appear in this passage that these guys... We're using this method of arguing where they couldn't refute what Paul was saying. So what they did is they made him out to be evil because of the things that these guys thought the other guys were probably thinking. Okay, because that's what an evil surmising is too. And so let me give a couple of examples of how this, you know, is done today and how it could be done back then too. Okay, now turn over to Romans chapter 3 and verse 8. <clears throat> Now, one of the reasons I'm using this as an example, and I think this could be what Paul was talking about, because we do see Paul, this was something he was fighting with quite a bit. But in Romans 3, 8, it says, And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So Paul here, and we don't have time to go through all of Romans 3 to see what he was talking about, but people were saying about Paul that he's teaching, you know, let us do evil that good may come. In other words, what I think, I believe Paul was talking about here, what he was dealing with is the same thing we deal with today. Whenever people find out that we teach eternal security, what is it that they usually do? They usually start saying things like, well, you know, if I believe in eternal security, if I thought it was biblical, I'd just get saved and I'd just go live a life of sin and just do whatever my dirty, sorry flesh felt like doing. 
Isn't that what people often do? People often deny eternal security because that's immediately where their mind goes. Oh, you mean I can do all these things and still go to heaven? That, that's kind of what they're, that's kind of what, you know, they're thinking instead of I can still go to heaven even though I'm a sinner. Because it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. And I'll, let me tell you something. More people are going to repent of their sin because of a free salvation than are going to because that's what's required for salvation. Nobody gets, no, nobody's going to repent of their sins just, you know, out of obligation. The flesh is going to win every time. And that's not what God commanded anyway. That's not what gets the Holy Spirit helping us out. And, but people, because we teach this, that's what they often go to. And I've, I mean, you, if you've gone soul for any length of time, you've probably talked to somebody when eternal security comes up. That's one of the things they bring up. And they do. And then uh, people too, other pastors sometimes of churches that deny eternal security, these work salvation churches, that's often they start tying that kind of thing to us. You know, that's just what you're telling everybody to do. You know, they'll try to accuse us of being like the trendies. And you know how offended we all get when that, when that kind of thing happens. But Paul dealt with that same thing in his day where people, they can't refute what he's teaching. Well, if he's teaching a free salvation that you can never lose, he's just doing that so people can just keep on being evil and still get good out of it. But let me, t- did Paul preach against sin? Oh, absolutely. Paul preached against sin. You know, Paul preached against sin just as hard as anybody, but he still taught a free salvation. He still taught eternal security. He still taught a salvation without works, but you had evil people that wanted to infiltrate, that wanted to cause problems that couldn't refute the teaching of Paul. So what do they do? They come up with all these evil surmisings while doting about words. And we'll talk about that here in a minute as a way to try to make Paul look bad and to make it look like what he was teaching was false. And so I believe that's probably what Paul was referring to, something along those lines, because here he is, you know, telling them to, you know, to preach on godliness. And um, some people didn't like doing that there, you know, and maybe they were accusing him of being, maybe they were accusing him of being a legalist like they do to us today. You know, who knows exactly? He doesn't give us a specific example here. But what I want to mainly focus on in this message is ways that we can do this as a church. And we don't want to do this. We don't want this kind of environment where we just have, we're just suspicious of everyone. Anybody that comes in, we're suspicious of them. Any preacher that comes here and preaches, we're just suspicious of them. You know, we got a guest speaker coming tonight. Well, I wonder how well Pastor Tommy knows this pastor. And you know, I don't, you know, grill preachers real bad before I have them come preach. If I hear some of their preaching and I like it, and I get to know them a little bit, and I think they're a good guy, I let them come preach. You know, if I think they're going to be a blessing to the church, I'll let them come preach. And, you know, we give them a chance. And you say, well, what, you know, what are you going to do if they turn out to be really bad? We won't have them come preach anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had people come here and preach that end up killing their wife later. Uh, you know, we, and it didn't hurt our church one bit. You know, we've, I've had, we've had people preach here that turned out to be a pervert later. Didn't hurt our church one bit. You know, because at the end of the day, as long as you do the right thing once it's been made manifest, that's what's important. And so I'm not real worried about it. I had somebody scheduled to come preach here one time who uh, I was all excited about having him come preach and he canceled a month or so before and it turned out it's because he was resigning his church because it turned out he was an adulterer. Now, you know, what would have happened if he had come and preached in your church? 
I mean, we'd have still been fine because I wouldn't have justified his adultery after I found out. So, you know, we don't need to get real worried about that stuff. You know, we don't, as long as we do the right thing when things are made manifest, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. We're going to hope for the best. And uh, that's kind of how we've always done it. I'm going to continue doing it that way. And so, one of the ways that we can do this uh, act of evil surmising is when we just assume the worst about someone's words. Because look what it says in verse 3. Uh, it says, If any man te- teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, Evil surmisings. So what does that mean? That word doting, it means regarding with excessive fondness. What we're going to do, we're just going to really pay very close attention to his words and particularly certain words that he, that they say because we're sure they're evil. Right? I mean, I, I, I heard what they said and I, and I got the basic gist of what they're saying, but if you listen real close, I think there's something deeper here. Okay? And that's what we often do. With people, we have that that suspicious attitude, and we put and what we do is we we start emphasizing specific words. I think that's what happens with this doting. All right, so for for example, uh, of how we can do this, you know, let's say I, I'm talking about Brother Daniel, and I say this, I say these words, he isn't going to church tomorrow. Okay, talking about Brother Daniel, and those are the words. Now picture all those words in your head. He isn't going to church tomorrow. Okay, that's a statement about Brother Daniel. But here's the thing. Am I saying this as a question? Or am I making an observation? Or am I giving an imperative command? If I, you know, because I could be saying, you know, he isn't going to church tomorrow. That, because of how I said it, that's a question, isn't it? Or I could say, he isn't going to church tomorrow. And that means I'm like basically saying, I'm not going to let him. Or, I could just be making a statement. He isn't going to church tomorrow. Just making a statement. Do you see how those same words I'm using in three different ways just based on, on how I'm saying it? I can emphasize certain words. It's important you learn these tricks, folks, because you're going to hear this kind of thing where, where people do this type of thing. If I emphasize the word he, okay, I might mean he isn't going, but somebody else is. So if I'm like, well, he isn't going to church, same words. But I might be saying that meaning, well, he isn't going to church, but he is. See, see how it's different? Or if I say, if I emphasize the word going, I could mean he isn't going to church tomorrow. Meaning he's already there. You see how, see how that works? If I emphasize church, you know, he isn't going to church tomorrow. Because of the way I said that, it kind of implies he's going somewhere else, doesn't it? If I emphasize tomorrow, you know, he isn't going to church tomorrow. Well, why am I doing that? Well, because he's here today, right? So do you see how just emphasis on a certain word changes everything? Now, I give this to you because when you hear people sometimes, when they are participating in evil surmisings, you know what they like to do? I'm using their, I'm saying their words verbatim, you know, and, and, but and sometimes, and they are, I mean, I use those words verbatim, same words every time. But based on emphasis of certain words, it kind of changes the meanings, and I can kind of do whatever I want with it. 
just on, just on that one short sentence, I'm able to do that. And you've got to understand, often that's what people are doing. And you can't fall for that kind of thing. Well, you know, they did say, they did say that. I mean, those are his words. But was that his intended use of those words? That's, that's a very important thing to do. And so, uh, and also tone matters. Okay. And often people, when quoting others, they'll emphasize a word that the other person didn't, which changes things. They accurately quote them, but they also use a tone that changes the message. And so suppose you ask somebody, someone to ask me if I would visit someone in the hospital. And they ask me and I say, you know, you know, so let's say, you know, Brother Lonnie, uh, you know, had his mom was in the hospital the other day and, you know, he told me about it. And, uh, but let's, let's say he, he told Brother Austin, hey, could you talk to Brother Tommy and see if he could go visit my mom in the hospital? And then Brother Austin comes to me and says, hey, Brother Lonnie, would like you to visit his mom in the hospital? And I said, that'd be fine. You know, that, that's my statement. But then he goes back to Brother Lonnie and he's like, he said, it'd be fine. Brother Lon- now, now, Brother Lonnie's going to be thinking, Man, Pastor Tommy doesn't really want to go. <laughs> now, did he quote me accurately? You know, I mean, he qu- I quoted him verbatim. <laughs> yeah, but you change your tone. Your kids do that all the time to you, too. You know, Mom, you know, Susie said this. You know, and they, they always do it with that just nasty tone. They make it sound the worst way possible. What are they doing? They're doting about words. They're, they're, and they're literally, by using your own words, they're changing the meaning. That's how, that's just how wicked we are. And that's how big of liars we are. Where we, we are, we are such liars just as people. We have such a dirty sin nature that we can verbatim quote somebody and yet misquote them at the same time. Isn't it amazing how that works? And that's why too, you know, I, I wish I could write, but I'm not a good writer because a good writer they are very good at expressing feeling and tone and their attitude with their words. I'm not. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm not a writer. And, you know, often people take things the wrong way. Uh, and well, look what you said in this text. Well, you've got to understand, I make my text as short as possible, which often takes away feeling. And, and I mean, just go, if you go through my text with my wife, you see paragraphs and then responses like that big and then paragraph and then responses that big. And that's just, that's just the way it is. I don't like texting. It's a lot of work. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, if I ever seem short with you when I'm, when, when you text me, it's probably because I'm texting <laughs> and I might be driving. And so I, you know, and if I'm driving, I'm really keeping it short. And I didn't just confess to that, but in case, you know, but, you know, but, you know, you, you know, you know how that kind of thing goes, but you know, you got to, you got to watch out for that. And so, and the evil surmiser, they constantly act like this is what people do. And, you know, and, you know, that, well, they take everyone's communication and words in the worst possible way. You can't do that. In Mark twelve thirteen, it says, and they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. These are bad people. Just always looking to catch everybody. And just understand, if you're that person in the church, that you're just always suspicious of everyone in the church. I heard them say this. I saw them. You know, they shared this on Facebook. They like this post, whatever. And you're just assuming the worst possible things. You know what? Give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just kind of revealing yourself 
as an evil person when you do that kind of thing. You know, evil people love nothing more than spinning the words of other people. They are masters of misrepresentation. They know how to make things sound good and in a way that will emotionally inflame their audience. But what they're really doing is just revealing their own heart many times. And so we should just, it should just be a kind of rule of thumb. We give people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their words. And we've got to be careful not to spin things negatively all the time. And we, when, when I was at my last church, there was a lady in the church. My wife always had to be super careful texting her. Because no matter what she texted her, she took it in the worst way possible. And, and sometimes, you know, my wife would have to like read the text. Alright, I said it this way. And then I would have to think, alright, could this possibly be taken bad? <laughs> and somehow the lady would find a way to take it bad. And she just had a terrible attitude, was always getting mad about something. And it was just, you didn't want to do it. It's like, you almost wanted to just call her up and then use the most bubbly voice you possibly could. And, you know, n- you know never just answer yes. You know, like, you know, hey, are you, are, is it okay to do this? You don't just say yes, because she would take it as yes. <laughs> you know, and that, that was how she saw everything. And it was just a pain in the neck. And it was a nightmare anytime she would text my wife about anything, because chances are somebody's going to get, you know, she's going to get her feelings hurt. If you didn't respond just right, you, you know, and she didn't have a smartphone back then to use all the emojis and all those things to make sure, you know, she knew <laughs> it was good. But man, you know, people like that are a pain in the neck. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Nobody will like you. But we don't want to bring that spirit in the church. So another way we can do this is when we publicly, when we're publicly questioning someone's motives for a good deed. Now turn over to Acts chapter four. Now folks, we can't help the fact that thoughts are going to cross our mind. Okay. You know, we're going to have negative thoughts. You know, you're going to, you're going to have, you know, anytime. You meet a new person. All kinds of thoughts cross our mind. Good and bad. And a lot of times we remember those things. If it turns out the bad one came true, I knew it. No, you didn't. You thought, you thought multiple ways. You know, you thought multiple things. And so, you know, you didn't know anything. But it says in verse one, it says, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them, when they heard the word, believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, for Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Now notice, these are good things that they're doing. These guys are, are preaching the resurrection of the dead. They're laying hands on people and they're healing them. Okay? Now how do you spin that to where it's bad? Okay? But yet, what are they doing? They're bringing them and they're questioning them almost as if they're on trial. And what are they doing? You know, they're asking, by what power, by what name have you done this? And they're not asking this in a way like, we want to know who you're preaching about. You know, you know why they're doing this? Because, hey, y'all are showing some kind of authority here, so therefore, name who that is so we can pit them against the leaders that are in Jerusalem during this time because you, know, you can't be doing these things without permission. They're, they're wanting to get them in trouble with the law is what they're doing. And so then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known on, you know, it's like, okay, if we're on trial, 
You know, if we're going to be examined for on trial for this, just be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. He's like, you want to know whose name it is? The guy you crucified. In his name. The one that you killed. Meaning, you know what he was doing here? Not only is he just stating the fact, but he's also proclaiming the resurrection here is what he's doing to these people. And it says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. He's going to throw it while they're being uh, challenged and trying to get them in trouble. He's like going to throw the gospel in there too. Always look for an opportunity to throw the gospel in somewhere when you got a crowd. And uh, they, they had a crowd here. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So, I mean, again, what are you going to say to guys who heal somebody? I mean, that's clearly a good deed, right? They're, and they, they don't know what to do, but it says, but when they command, had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they shall speak henceforth uh, to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. And we all know what ended up happening there. They didn't listen to these guys. But, you know, what did they do? They took this opportunity to publicly let me know, you all aren't allowed to do this kind of thing. You're not allowed to preach in His name. And, you know, what, what's so awesome about this passage is we're getting the unfiltered truth about what actually happened on both sides. And so the truth is simple for us here. But notice these men, they were literally arrested. They're being examined, which makes them look bad. Okay? Doesn't it always look bad? Don't we always think the worst of people when we see them getting put in the back of a police car? We always think the worst every time. You know, now, you know, it could just be a dirty cop, right? But isn't that, isn't that embarrassing? Isn't that humiliating? I remember one time my car broke down on the way to work and a policeman came and, and so, it, and he turned his lights on and it looked like I got pulled over. And everybody I work with is driving by seeing I'm just embarrassed. I, I wasn't, I wasn't in trouble. I was embarrassed because it looked like I got pulled over and then you know, the cop went and gave me a ride to work and dropped me off there. And I'm like hoping nobody's seeing me go in the police car. <laughs> and it, it was, and he was actually doing a nice thing, but it was still humiliating. And I guess who was real popular that day at work and everybody wanted to talk to, you know, some people were just coming up to me. What happened? And then you had all these other people, Hey, you know, how's everything going? You could tell they were wanting to know what happened, but they didn't want to bring it up. That was one of the worst days ever at work. And, you know, and that was, that was just with a cop trying to help me. <laughs> I got embarrassed that bad. So imagine, you know, th what these guys are doing is meant to humiliate them, to just cast suspicion and to cast doubt on them. That's why, that's why they're doing these things because, you know, these guys felt, they, they felt threatened, but they didn't have anything against them. So they needed them to be trying to cause an uprising or something, but there was no evidence, yet they publicly are taking these guys, you know, later we see them, they're putting these guys in jail. They're casting doubt on them, little for nothing. They're, you know, we see the apostles, you know, they're getting beaten. They're doing all these things to humiliate them, even though they did nothing. 
And so, because again, when we see that, often we just think the worst. And you know, nobody wants to, you know, when, when you see somebody getting arrested, you don't look at that guy and think, I want to go make friends with him. That's something thing I probably should stay away with. You know, if you have a neighbor and the police are always coming to their house, you're always going to probably think the worst, aren't you? And so a lot of times, you know, what, you know, I think what they were doing back then, they would do these things to humiliate them. So nobody would want to listen to them. So nobody would want to have anything to do with them. Because I mean, well, I mean, those guys are getting beat. They obviously did something. Well, not necessarily. Not, you know, not necessarily. Well, they're, they're on trial. Surely they did something to ask for it. No, sometimes there's just evil people out there. I've had, I've had trendies that are out there because of the attacks that have come on us by the sodomites and stuff. They act like we must have done something to ask for it. It's like, no, we just preach the truth about them. You know, well, you know, you're just too mean. Well, I don't really know how to be nice on that subject to begin with. But at the same time, you know, but, you know, people see, and, and you know what? I'm sure it's probably turned a lot of people away. The attacks that have come on our church, People see that and they don't investigate. They don't look into it, but they see the attacks and think there must be something wrong with them. And so that is, uh, you know, uh, the devil's method often of just getting people to look away from people he doesn't want them looking at is he'll do that kind of thing because most people aren't going to take the time to like really look into the situation. Some people do, you know, some people do. I mean, we got people here. That's what got you looking more at us. But you know, there's a lot of people that just got them to look away from us and uh, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the evil accomplishes their mission of just getting people to think negatively. And you know what? There's people in this community that have had a nasty attitude with us when we've knocked on their door and it had nothing to do with anything we have ever done to them, but, but it had everything to do with what's been said to them about us by, by wicked people. And, and so what, you know, and what are they doing? You know, they're, they're questioning good deeds. Is what, is what many people often do. And again, if you do it in your head, that's one thing. But when you're publicly doing that, that's wrong. That's evil surmisings. We see in Philippians 2, 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know, if somebody does something good, we should just be thankful and assume the best. Just assume the best. That they're just be, you know, just assume they're being obedient to Jesus. Just assume that they love the Lord. Matthew 6.22, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Some people just see everything in an evil light because that's what they are. That's just, that's just who they are in their heart. Don't be that way. Matthew 7.21 says, For from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. You know why you think evil of probably everything? It's because you got something wrong on your inside. And it's coming out in your thoughts. It's coming out in the things that you're saying. These railings, these evil surmisings, these things are coming from your heart. You see everything. In a negative light. You see everybody's a bad person. You see everybody who comes in the church as a potential reprobate. You see every preacher that you ever hear preach as a potential false prophet. Why? Because that's what you are and your that's what you, how you think in your heart. You've got you've got an evil eye. And I get it. We live in a world where there are false prophets. We live in a world where there are perverts and predators and reprobates. These are real things. But you know what? At the same time, we also are supposed to be kind to people. We are supposed to be loving to others. And we've got to learn to have some balance there. 
and not get overly focused on the negative. We see Nabal in the Bible, a very evil man, a churlish man, this son of Belial. He was a very wicked man. Uh, when David came, men, when David's men came to him for help, Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away from his master. You know what he's doing? He's saying, David's a rebel. He's just, he's casting doubt and suspicion. Why should I help this guy? I think this guy is a rebel against Saul. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? Notice here too, Nabal didn't flat out accuse David of this. He just threw out the question. Hey, there's a lot of people rebelling against King Saul. How do I know this isn't David? Hey, there's a lot of infiltrators coming into churches. How do we know our visitors aren't infiltrators? Yeah, I don't think that. <laughs> You're the visitors, so. <laughs> but it, it would be wrong, especially for me to get up and publicly say that. I don't have any evidence of that. You know, I, I don't have any. I don't have any legitimate reason to think that. Oh, but you know, you you don't know. I recorded our conversation. I didn't. This was up here. You know, I recorded our conversation. And you know, and there's something about listening to a recorded conversation that just always makes the person who got recorded seem guilty. Isn't that funny how that works? Well, you know, they're saying they're not infiltrators, but I, I want you to hear what they said. And I don't even know what they could have said that I could spin. I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> but, but you know, is, that, that would be evil for me to do that. Especially to publicly do that kind of thing. That would show I have an evil heart. We cannot be that way. I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to go to that church where people are like that. And so when you're attributing bad motives to everyone, it's because something's wrong with you. So third thing here, when you treat someone differently because you think they might be bad or even because you just think they don't like you. Now turn over to James chapter 2. Again, this is, this is an example of how we can be guilty of this act of you know, evil Evil surmisings, just being suspicious, thinking the worst. But it says in James 2.1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come unto also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and saith unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? You know, you're just assuming things about people based on their appearance. You've got evil thoughts. That's what he's saying. You're, you're partial in yourselves. You're a respecter of persons. These are all bad things. All, the, all these things that they did in judging somebody by their outward appearance, James is saying, this is showing, I mean, just naming off all these sins that they had in their heart. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? It's the rich guys that are always causing problems for everybody. You know, we always say we want the millionaires in the church, right? You know, to help with the tithing and all that. But aren't millionaires the ones that are like keeping us all down? At least that's what they were saying at all the protests and things. All right? You know, those one percenters, right? But you know, there's some truth to that. A lot of times they are out there taking advantage of people. Do we really want that kind of thing in the church? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. You know, we don't want everybody being suspicious of us. 
We don't want everybody wondering if we're a pervert and things like that. We don't want people having those negative thoughts about us. And so when, um, you know, if I'm overly sensitive and I get called out for thinking, you know, everyone is a reprobate, I can use the preaching method of showing where the Bible warns about reprobates, where the Bible warns about wolves, where it warns about the false prophets. I could do that. I've got scriptures to justify my behavior if I get called out there. If I want to make fun of the people who think everyone's a reprobate, I can use passages like I've been using and just turn it around on them. You know, because, uh, you know, it would, you know, that, that'd be an easy thing to do. I could show that they're evil with that. So what are we actually supposed to do? And this is an example where we got to learn sometimes there's two, there's two doctrines that have to work together. And we often want to focus on one and throw out the other, but just we've got to learn to have some balance. You know, don't be afraid to follow your instincts with people instead of following somebody else's list of rules. You don't, you don't want to do that. There's a difference in having some common sense rules in place because we know the potential evil that is out there and being suspicious of everyone. So you, you know why? So the thing is, one of the reasons the Bible warns us about, you know, wolves and reprobates and false prophets and all that kind of thing is so we won't be thrown for a loop when people turn out to be bad. Okay. And, you know, and we're supposed to watch for false doctrine. You know, we're supposed, we're supposed to do all that stuff, but you know, we're also commanded to be kind, loving, charitable, all those, we're, we're commanded to do all those things too. So what, here's what we have to do. And I, I think a good way to illustrate it this way, alright? Now, we know that there are child molesters out there. We know that there are adulterers out there. And, you know, when we meet, and that's why we often have rules making sure, you know, our kids aren't allowed to be alone, you know, with other adults. You know, or, uh, we don't, you know, I don't think, you know, men should be with the opposite sex if they're not married to. And you say, well, why? You know, are you suspicious of that woman? Do you think that she'll try to seduce you? No, but I understand that we live in a world where adultery is a very real thing. Where temptation is a very real thing. So if I don't go so if I'm not willing to go somewhere alone with your wife, it doesn't mean I think she's like this, you know, horrible floozy or something like that. No, that's just a rule that I have because that's a real problem. I don't want to be tempted. I don't want someone else to be tempted. I, I'm just, I'm avoiding that situation. You know, I, I believe, you know, and please don't take this the wrong way and I gotta be careful how I say this so people don't sound bite me and make me look like a pervert or something like that. But you know, I, I can, I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that any of your children would always be safe in my presence. But you know what? You still shouldn't just let them be alone with me. You know why? It's not because you're suspicious that I might be a pervert, but just because we live in a world where there are perverts and often they're pastors. So you know what we do? We just have a rule for everybody. But at the same time, we're not going around being all suspicious. Well, you know, I got this rule. I'm not going to let my kids, you know, be alone with Brother Hugo, you know, but Brother Brian, I'm not worried about him. No, just... Listen, first off, never, you should never say that if you think that. But, you know, just have a rule. Because, you know, there's going to be people out there you're suspicious of. We just don't do it with, any, with anybody. Because that is, a real, that is a real thing. But, you know, we don't need to be, you know, thinking those kind of thoughts like that. And again, you can't help it if a thought crosses your mind. But at this, when you start publicly 
putting those things out there, that's a very wicked thing to do. That's a very wicked thing to do. And all I'm going to do, if I'm saying that, if I'm telling everybody about my special rule I have for Brother Hugo that I don't have for other people, I'm just going to make people think negative thoughts about him. And that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not right. And we need to watch, we need to watch out for that. You know, and so I, I do. I believe, I believe people in this church are safe around me. I believe the ladies in this church are safe around me, but I'm still not going to counsel you alone in my office with the door closed. I, I'm not going to do that kind of thing because, you know, I, I want to abstain from the appearance of evil. But two, it, you know, it would be foolish for you as a woman to even do that because there are predator pastors out there. Okay? Predator pastors are a real thing. Now, I don't want everybody being suspicious of me and wondering all the time, but again, what you just do is you just have some common sense rules in place and we're not treating everyone like a predator, but you know, at the same time, what we're doing is we're just, you know, we're just covering our bases and then nobody's feelings are hurt and uh, we can, we can all feel safe. And so there will always be infiltrators. There will always be evil people out there, but as long as we use some common sense, we'll be safe. Okay. Listen, church does, you know, I don't believe this church is a dangerous place. Yeah, anything's possible. Okay? Folks, anything can happen. We we make common sense precautions. You know, but at the same time, we don't want to create an environment where we're all just suspicious of each other or where we're just treating others different in the church. That's a really bad attitude. It's not right. It's not healthy. Let's always make sure we keep the spirit right, follow some common sense guidelines, and God will help us. And 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 watch out for the evil surmiser. When you see somebody, you know, using these methods, these methods, you know, it's a it's a big red flag when you see that kind of thing. So watch out for it. Don't fall for it. I believe God will protect us. So let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the um, just the instruction that we get from it. And I pray you'll help us in this area, Lord. Help us not to be uh, suspicious of each other, but Lord, just help us to. Uh, have some common sense uh, rules and guidelines in place in our life so we can uh, be protected. And I pray it will help us to think the best of others and to try to do uh, good and to be a blessing to everyone we possibly can. In your name we pray. Amen.